Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know their names. You know the organizations and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces. But do you know why they are difference makers? Welcome to Difference Makers, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories and insights from Savannah's key players, the men and women who lead our city in commerce, in arts and culture, in philanthropy, in government, and in education. I'm Adam Van Bremer, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News. Thank you for listening. In the short span of a decade, the Savannah Philharmonic has become a part of this city's cultural fabric. Savannians have held an appreciation for orchestral music for many years, only to see organizations struggle and fade. But a core group of local music lovers had the foresight in 2008 to form the Savannah Philharmonic and install maestro Peter Shannon as the conductor. The startup orchestra was able to tap into pent-up demand initially and has grown steadily in the years since, particularly so in the three years since Terry O'Neill joined the organization first as development director and now as executive director. We're pleased to have Terry with us here today. I'm pleased to be joined on Difference Makers today by Terry O'Neill, executive director of the Savannah Philharmonic. Terry, of course, has been in town for for quite a while. A lot of people know her from her former business down off of Abercorn and 37th Street, an antique store, and then her work at Historic Savannah Foundation more recently. She has been working with the Philharmonic first as a development director, now as the executive director. But Terry, let's go back a little bit farther than that. I know your your ties to Savannah go back to your childhood. Can you kind of fill us in a, a little bit about yourself? Well, good morning. Thank you, Adam. This is just a wonderful opportunity. I'm thrilled to be here to talk about the Savannah Philharmonic Orchestra. But yeah, looking back, you know, my family, we moved here in 1971. My father was a fixed wing um, pilot. He flew the Mohawk out here at Hunter. And uh, most people think that I was born and raised here, but I've defined myself as a as an adopted Savannian, mm -hmm. you know, growing up here and having, you know, southern roots, but all, uh, you know, co-mingled with a Midwestern early childhood and mm -hmm. then, you know, having a military family where we, as, as we were, you know, children growing up with a, a, a father, an officer, we developed, you know, good work ethic and also learned how important integrity was. And I think from a very early age, for me, um, I got a lot of fulfillment out of, you know, uh, accomplishment of goals and, you know, and, and um, giving back. Yeah. And your father, uh, you told me earlier, served two tours in Vietnam. And I know that the military and the country is very near and dear to you. And can you kind of talk a little bit about what kind of impression that had on you? Yeah, thank you. Yes, um, we're we're very appreciative of our armed forces, and you know, being part of that, um, we developed, um, I guess, a, a greater sense of 
how important the military is to our overall, you know, way of life as a civilization. And, you know, my fa- my father, as you mentioned, serving two tours in Vietnam, you know, it was, it was a great um, burden for our family as well to have him gone. And, uh, but we adapted and we, we were just part of, you know, the extension of the military, you know, we, we took that burden on. And, you know, from that, I also watched my mother step up and lead the family. And from her, I was able to, you know, develop, you know, strong will and determination and Mm -hmm. commitment. And, you know, all of those things, I think, um, you know, have just uh, made me the person that I am today, both personally and professionally. That's right. Now, your professional life started maybe a little earlier than you thought, right? You went off to college, and then you got a call. Yeah, well, thank you for reminding me. Gosh. Um, Yeah, so I uh, attended high school here. I went to Beach High School and uh, enrolled early at Armstrong, uh, Armstrong State College then, and was well on my way to a a college uh, education. And I was fortunate enough to get a job, uh, a corporate job. So while I was pursuing my college education, I also took on a career. Um, I did further that uh, college. Uh, pursuit of a college degree. When I lived in Atlanta, I attended uh, Georgia State, but um, it became very difficult for me to manage, you know, a commitment to my career and education. So most of my uh, professional skills are um, on-the-job training, on-the-job learning, and that that has served me well. To say that really kind of instills a little bit of a drive in most of us, right? And, and I know that I'm guessing that when you kind of latch on to something you're you're pretty much all in and and that's served you well in your career yeah 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 some people will call me terry the terry the terrier you know i want (laughs) to you know i see the end goal i don't have any problem seeing the end goal and so you know i just want to get there i want to accomplish it and you know the determination for me i guess is a is a big big attribute and um, yeah, it's been quite a, um, a a path to get to uh, to come from you know a child growing up in the south side of Savannah, Paradise Park, mm-hmm. you know participating in the school activities from you know student government to to tennis to you know an early college uh, pursuit of a college degree and then again a, a young mother too mm-hmm. I we really haven't talked much about that but you know for me coming from strong family mm-hmm. you know I value the family and the family unit but I was a, a, a young mother in that pursuit of both career and college and um, the satisfaction that you get from developing another um, another human being is very fulfilling mm-hmm. underneath it all you have an appreciation for orchestral classical music. How far back does that go, and how much has that played, even before you took on your current role, how much has that played in your life? Yeah, thank you. You know, growing up in the 70s, music was a large part of, I think, everyone's life, right? It was a troubled time. You've got war and politics and um, it, so music for my parents uh, was was um, just 
something that we always had in in the house and so for me music uh, both classical there was definitely rock and country you know we had lots of genres of music in my house Um, but for me the music was really what united us Um, you know whether it was in the living room or outside in the backyard music was what brought us together Aside from mealtime, right. um, but but <laughs> but besides mealtime, it was it was the music that brought us together, and yeah, I'm I'm so proud to to now further my career and really my commitment to our community. You know, for me, it's making the quality of life in Savannah better, and you know, music still brings people together whatever the genre is in my case it's classical music and Mm -hmm. again i couldn't be more proud Mm -hmm. to be a part of it did you play did you piano lessons uh flute uh singing church choir what what was your exposure (laughs) to music you know i always get that question i always usually when i'm asked that question i have a a artistic director and conductor (laughs) peter shannon beside me that, that elbows me to say and raises his eyebrows. Uh, no, I I did I did not pursue music. My siblings did. I had my brother played the trumpet. My sister played the clarinet. But I I really spent my time on the tennis court. Oh, that's a good instrument too, though. Yeah, it is. It has strings of its own, right? That's right. That's and, right. And I use them well. Yeah. But uh, for me, it's really I I'm, I appreciate the music mm-hmm. and. Gosh, the, you know the commitment that goes into making that music is really amazing. Right. Plus, we all sing in the shower. You had kids. I have kids. We sing at bedtime. You get some music here and there. Yeah, yeah, Getting yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I, I imagine another question you get all all the time is, "Did you ever imagine running an orchestra?" I'm I'm the first one to. Actually, I think I might make the statement more often than I'm asked because people who've known me for the decades that I've been part of this uh, community that we call home, um, you know, I say I, I, I never imagined that I would be leading an orchestra, a philharmonic orchestra. But, you know, it must have been destiny because w- along with Peter Shannon and our board and our committed staff, I mean, we have really taken the organization the last three years into what we call warp speed growth. I mean, mm-hmm. not just, um, you know, financially, but organizationally, structurally, and, and you know, getting our story out there, telling our story, much like today. Again, thank you for the opportunity to let people know what we do. And, of course, music is the pinnacle, right? That's what we do. That's our gift. Mm -hmm. But well beyond uh, what we do in the concert hall is our outreach programs, and I'm Mm -hmm. so very proud of that. So one might ask, yeah, you're running an orchestra, but really it's an organization that gives back to the community. Mm -hmm. And we do that through outreach programs like Orchestra Lab, which is an, a music education program in partnership with Savannah Chatham County Public Schools. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fourfold, but at, at the top of that is what we call our Orchestra Lab concert rehearsals. So on Friday dress rehearsals of our concerts, we bring students in, hundreds of students in, to the Lucas Theater. And what we're teaching them is we're not only teaching them about the musical piece they're about to hear performed, but we're teaching them about the conductor. We're teaching them about world history at the time the piece was written. And then, so they get sort of a 
full view of what was happening, and then they hear the piece. Mm-hmm. Maestro Shannon is mic'd, mm-hmm. so they are getting to see you know, the production of the music in a professional environment. And that does so many things for those students. Um, first, it gets them into a historic theater. Um, they get to see you know, the music being made, how it's made, but also exposes them to potential, you know, careers in music. Sure. And I think I mentioned, you know, 95% of our musicians are involved in music education. And for me, that I'm so proud of that um, because we, our mission to enrich and educate and, of course, raise awareness for performing arts. But, you know, we all take this mission uh, to heart and you can see it. You know, I like to say, the, if you've not worked in the in not-for-profit, I call it the land of not-for-profit, right? There's never enough time or money or resources. But when you really believe in what you're doing, it, it's just very fulfilling to see it all all, all come to be. All right, and, and obviously the, the orchestra has a – or the Philharmonic has a tremendous cultural impact on our town. And it, it's also interesting for me to think about the economic and the social side of it. You, you mentioned the schools or can – we're going to talk about Picnic in the Park in a minute, and we'll talk about some of the programs in the schools that are going to be part of that. But what about some of these other programs that you've got going on from – I know you mentioned a partnership with Carnegie Hall. I know you mentioned the the orchestra in the street that goes into maybe disadvantaged or other neighborhoods that might not have a, a lot of exposure to uh, orchestral music beforehand. What Kind of walk us through yeah, some of that. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, you know, again, <clears throat> it's it's – it's really amazing how much we do when we're not in the concert hall year round. And as you said, you know, orchestra lab, which I, the concert rehearsals, we also go, we, we take our professional musicians and we go into the schools and we work with the music teachers and the band directors. We learn uh, firsthand from them what their challenges are and what their goals are. And we're working beside them throughout the year to ensure that they achieve those goals. We're very proud of that. We also developed a program called Philharmonic in the Street. That's where we go to neighborhoods where the the residents may not think to go to a classical concert or may not be able to go to a classical concert. So we take the music to them in their neighborhood, and we partner with other organizations in that neighborhood, much like uh, Greenbrier Children's Center. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have our second annual um, Philharmonic in the Streets on November 18th. Uh, from 1 to 4 o'clock at Greenbrier. And in partnership with Greenbrier, we've reached out to the, the schools in that area, the churches in that area. And it'll be just a Sunday afternoon throwdown. We'll have barbecue and kids' activities for, for the children. But it, it's, it creates an opportunity uh, to have positive dialogue and for folks who otherwise wouldn't get to experience uh, orchestral or classic music to witness it. And we put our musicians on stage, and uh, this this November 18th, our headliner is Chelly, which is an uh, an all-female uh, four-piece uh, on a cello ensemble, and they're going to be performing. We're also going to have Marcus Alexander. He is a young African-American double bass player who will come and talk to you know to the to the young people there. And it's just again, Philharmonic in the Streets is something that that we created that takes the music to the people. But really, you know, music brings 
brings people together, and that's what we're doing with Philharmonic in the Streets. We also do uh, integrative medicine programs, both at the Willett Children's Hospital. Uh, once a month, we produce a an adaptation of Mozart's Magic Flute, uh, where we have our musicians and choristers there, and we are performing for children, sick children, their families and caregivers, and if you've ever been to one you know it brings tears to your to your eyes if you haven't um it's very touching to go and witness um how music really does play a role in healing uh sick people Mm -hmm. we also um have integrative medicine program at the anderson cancer institute where our professional musicians play for patients receiving chemotherapy three times a week so we go we interact with the patient and the caregivers and families and um, it's just again remarkable to see the power of music and we will soon announce i guess i can announce it here but we are partnering with the uh, nancy and curtis lewis cancer center and we're going to be um, implementing a program there as well you talked about being able to reach out and connect and i know that this sunday we're, we're taping this on we're taping this on thursday the october the 4th and it'll be up friday morning ahead of picnic in the park i know some people will, will listen to this after picnic in the park but let's just talk about that event i know that the philharmonic has gotten involved with that in the last couple of years and really kind of elevated it and i know that it goes beyond just the philharmonic playing to extend to some of the school groups that the Philharmonic works with, right? Yeah. So Savannah Philharmonic adopted Picnic in the Park in 2015 as part of our mission. And um, yes, we have certainly grown it to include our orchestra lab students who we work through with throughout the year. We, you know, we have a very rich relationship with the third infantry division. So once again, this year we'll have um, the army band this year. It's the jazz band ensemble. We'll have the color guard. Um, Again, it's part of our mission to give music back to the community. So with the school groups, with the military, um, we, 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 we're there three o'clock to nine thirty. Um, again, music, bringing people together this year being our 10th season anniversary. We we've elevated the experience a little bit. We've partnered with stage front. Uh, the theme is illuminating the night. So I expect that, uh, attendees are going to be wowed by some, some digital effects that will be, um, accompanying Peter's performance with the orchestra. And, uh, for us, it's just great camaraderie, again, a gift back to the city and, and music, you know, bringing us all together on a Sunday afternoon in historic Forsyth Park. Yeah, talk a little bit about that atmosphere. A picnic in the park, people go all out. You never know what you're going to see, whether it's a Alice in Wonderland type tea party or, or a big southern tailgate or, or what have you. When, when you're there, and I, I know you're busy and preoccupied and doing what you do, but What's it like for you to when you do take a little bit of time to walk around and, and look and see how the community kind of embraces this event? Well, you know, last year we had nearly 15,000 people in the 
southeast quadrant of Forsyth Park. Yeah. 15,000 people. We've had as many as 18,000 people. So if you can imagine 18,000 people there on a Sunday afternoon with so many activities, um, and one of the, the favorites is the picnic venue contest. Mm-hmm. And our presenting sponsor this year is End Market. Mm-hmm. Um, End Market will be... Um, conducting the picnic venue uh, contest and you will see so many interesting um, creative venues um, from where trapeze artists to 1940s um, you know swing dancers Mm -hmm. to Forrest Gump sitting on the park bench uh, handing out chocolates it's just this very dynamic event um, but it's always, you know, very lively, full of happy people, um, having a really great time. We're going to take a, a deep dive here in just a second. But before we do that, we're going to get in a sponsor read for the Paint the Town Pink campaign. We are pleased today to promote the Paint the Town Pink campaign. Breast cancer has touched most, if not all of us, in some way or another. And each October, we take the opportunity to raise awareness of the disease's dangers and to encourage women to do self-checks and schedule mammograms. As part of the Paint the Town Pink campaign, October 29th is Mammography Day, with St. Joseph's Candler completing hundreds of mammograms at six locations located across the region. Financial assistance is available for the uninsured and the underinsured, so there's no excuse not to get your mammogram taken care of. Call 912-819-PINK. That's 912-819-PINK today to schedule a mammogram to help us paint the town pink. We're back with Terry O'Neill. Terry, let's dive a little bit deeper into some more philosophical, more theoretical kind of discussion. And one thing that we didn't cover in the previous section was the Spotlight Sunday Afternoon Concert Series and what it means in terms of attracting a the new audience, the next generation for orchestral music. Yeah, you know, that... That next generation is certainly um, a challenge for classical organizations across the country, if not the world, and something that we talk about regularly, trying to develop strategies to how do we attract younger audience, right? So one of our initiatives is called the Larson's Musician Spotlight Series. It's sponsored by Ken and Nancy Larson, who just really are passionate about um, music education for our youth Mm -hmm. and so this particular concert series we have seven concerts actually we've already had one this Mm -hmm. past sunday at lutheran church of the ascension it was practically sold out brass on high it's a 13-piece brass ensemble and what makes these sunday afternoon concerts um so fabulous for students young professionals and families is number one they're very affordable Um, students uh, tickets are half price and you come in into a beautiful historic church and you sit down you hear this beautiful music for an hour and then you get the opportunity to mix and mingle with musicians so it's it's accessible it's affordable and it's interactive and uh, you know what better way to spend a Sunday afternoon? So we're really proud of them. Um, we're at least we're proud of the concept. We've had our inaugural concert, and we'll have another one on October fourteenth. Again, back at the Lutheran Church of the Ascension, five o'clock. Great. The younger generation. I know you've mentioned that you're, you're reaching out to them. I know that when I was a when I was a child, I 
gained appreciation for certain genres of music because it was played for me all the time. My parents were, they liked 60s, 60s rock and roll, and then they also played some classical music, and it just kind of gradually, I heard it all the time. And I know now I have school-aged children, and it, I find it pretty interesting that they maybe are not, and maybe they are, and are just not getting understanding it they're not seeming to get the appreciation for the music that i like that i got from my parents and i'm wondering uh, you know they put the earbuds in or they're preoccupied with something else how do you and other classical organizations across the country and across the world kind of bridge that gap that seems to be there with the younger generations in terms of audience. Yeah, it, it, again, it is a real challenge, and we're all flooded with so many options, not only with music, but you know, throughout the day, we're just flooded with options, and how do we make sure that classical music um, is in the forefront? I, I think that you know, the things that I've already outlined in terms of our education outreach, you know, we touch nearly 5,000 students in middle school and high school every year. And we like to think, when we hope, and, and I think we've proven that our programs are impacting these children who otherwise would not have that classical music experience or education. So, you know, if you look at it as a cycle, you know, the earlier we can touch those students, those young people, and keep it in the forefront throughout education and you know, culturally within our, our, um, in our neighborhoods and in our communities, um, and all the way through high school. And then, you know, at at high school, we're hoping then that, and you know, right now it's still a little too early to see, but we're hoping that those students then become, as they mature into adults, they become, you know, the attendees to the classical concerts. And champions. And champions, you know, yeah, you know, advocacy is something else, right? Um, so in these relationships that we're building with, with the students, um, it's, it's about, first and foremost, um, we all know that music education improves math skills, memory skills. Um, so it, it makes them become hopefully a better student throughout their uh, student career, their educational career. Um, but, but we want them to also realize that there are opportunities for, for careers, for their own careers. If they love music, um, then you know they can make music their profession and earn a living from that. And, and, and if nothing else, we have to build music enthusiasts and advocates for classical music. And I think we're doing that, but uh, again, it's all, you know, so new we haven't been able to track the long-term results but i will tell you this um at our concerts both orchestral concerts and our first spotlight series and um our our may 20th fill in the philharmonic in the streets the young people and the families that are there are in greater numbers than Mm -hmm. they were you know five six seven eight years ago so i i i hope that the investment that we're making now continues to show that it's um, that it's that we're advancing and developing that younger audience. And as you pointed out, music enthusiasts and advocate. There you go. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Philharmonic and the history. It's a big deal this year. It's the ten years of the Philharmonic, ten successful years. 
can you kind of take us back in time and talk about where the Philharmonic started and, and kind of the path forward over the last decade? Okay, this is a fun story. I like to tell it, and this is one of those times I wish Peter were here to to uh, enjoy the moment. But, um, you know, the, the Savannah Symphony, which you know, predates our organization by a number of years. Unfortunately, went out of business, I believe, in 2003. And it was sad for our community not to have a professional symphony orchestra. I mean, we are a very culturally rich uh, city, and, uh, and again, it was a great loss. From that, there was a smaller group of musicians that formed the Savannah Symphietta. And although they, you know, they were able to provide music in what was then a void, um, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't firsthand with that organization, but, you know, in conversations, my sense was, you know, that structurally, they just didn't have the capacity to, to provide that level or that large of an orchestra. Although, again, they were, they, they were performing and they did give the gift of music. But there was also an organization, uh, Savannah Choral Society, um, which is uh, where the Savannah Philharmonic really developed from, which is unique. You know, you often hear um, that a chorus is built and developed from within an, uh, an orchestra, but for us, it's the reverse of that. So in 2008, the Savannah, Cho- Savannah Choral Society hired Peter Shannon to conduct the chorus. Peter came from Germany along with his wife, Quinn, who is a concert pianist. And Peter developed relationships not only with, obviously, folks within the chorus community, number one, David Frothingham, Melissa Emery, but also um, a, a community leader and philanthropist, uh, Dick Platt. And uh, there was just that small group of them who really believed that there was a need. There was a need for an orchestra, and with their commitment and determination, they could raise awareness and funds, right? Mm-hmm. We've got to have money for a, a, a full professional orchestra. And surely and historically and proudly, you know, by 2009, that small group of people uh, formed what is now the Savannah Philharmonic Corporation. Um, again, uh, our publicly public name, but uh, Savannah Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorus. And uh, yeah, so I, I couldn't be happier to congratulate them. And, and uh, yeah, 10 years, 10 years in the making, 10 harmonious years. We're here uh, selling out the Lucas Theater. Uh, we sold out uh, the Johnny Mercer only twice. I say only twice. It's a big deal, 2,500 yeah, seats. Theater, yeah. But our goal is to do that again, hopefully with Holiday Pops. Uh, we have a holiday pop series that has three concerts, Friday night, December 7th, Saturday matinee, the 8th, and then Saturday night concert. So, yeah, 10 years in the making. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the growth. I mean, do you start with a core group and then you start adding chairs? Do you do you start with a couple of concerts and then I think now you've got 17 at least, at least 17 events, probably more than that in terms of concerts. How did the growth happen and, and was it just kind of uh, you're looking at, this is how much money we have and this is what we're going to try to achieve and we're going to try to stay in the black and we're going to grow it as the finances allow to ensure our financial success right you've got to have the funds to produce the music yet we we do set the budget ahead of time and you know artistic director peter shannon builds the program within our budget and over the 10 years you know i will say the last 
three years have we've had warp growth right so we have added two concert in two concerts in the tenth season which do, does give us you know the 17 concerts but in the early days um, you know when they had their first executive director which was David Pratt David Pratt was really instrumental along with his board at the time to infusing that financial stability to allow them to have a bigger orchestra. Obviously, each piece of music requires, you know, different musicians. So, you know, you could have a, a very large orchestra. So we're playing Shostakovich this mm -hmm. this uh, season, which is a huge orchestra, compared to, you know, a much smaller piece where uh, we don't have the need. So when, when Peter's planning the uh, program and he's working within a budget, he can choose pieces that we know that we can afford and still be able to produce that really high-quality concert mm. performance. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and we yeah it is, and you know we're uh, we're a per service organization, so our musicians um, are contracted by concert, which also from a business perspective, um, it's it's some would say a smarter way of doing it. You know, obviously we'd like to be so stable that we could employ our musicians full time, but f for us that's just not in the immediate future. Right. And um, I hope we will talk a little bit more about our musicians. I'll 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 get to them because they you know they they are really the heart and soul of the or orchestra. And but back to the business side of things, um, you know, we've been very wise and strategic about not only growth but how we spend the money and making sure that we don't overcommit on the artistic side right you mentioned the musicians the life of a musician what's it like and uh, i imagine that they do more than than practice uh whatever the upcoming piece is eight hours a day am i right yeah yeah and we've already noted right i'm not a musician but i've <laughs> observed this firsthand and i have such admiration for our professional musicians I mean, it is tough. They, you know, not only are they performing with our orchestra, but some of them perform with multiple orchestras throughout the region. Mm -hmm. And they also teach, whether it's, you know, private lessons or in schools. But, you know, because they're, you know, they're, it's multifaceted. You know, they don't just show up at a concert hall five days a week and practice. You know, they're traveling from city to city. They're from school to school. And it's, it's really admirable, the commitment and contribution that they make on a personal level. Right. Um, it's, it's remarkable. But I, I will also say, you know, the, the community within the musicians, for me, has been very rewarding because I, I see the camaraderie among the musicians. You know, we have... Um, a few married couples who perform with us and now they're having children and they're bringing the children's to the rehearsals so it's uh, you talk about you know developing audiences we have infants really out in in our concert hall who are listening to this classical music from you know from birth to yeah it's it's exciting yeah. it's exciting and they're they're teaching private lessons or teaching in schools or teaching in universities uh, I, I met we talked before before we started this you talked about they they subbed in some orchestras they worked with some other orchestras it just seems like a a very unique lifestyle the lifestyle of a 
orchestral musician. It's unique. And can you imagine how burdensome it can be to be on the road as often as you are? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, you know, they love it, and burdensome may not be their word, but from the outside looking in to see, to in observing, you know, uh, this very complex, um, mobile lifestyle is, um, it has to be tiring. But they, but they do it, you know, when they're on that stage, they're giving it their all, and you can see it in their faces how much they love the music. And... Um, and, and Peter says it best too when they're when they're playing. He said we're, they're not playing for themselves; they're playing for the audience, and they they take that to heart. That's their gift to that audience. Well, let's wrap up today. I, I talk we talked about picnic in the park coming up Sunday. Holiday pops you mentioned earlier. Let's kind of let everybody know because that's the next big thing that they got to plan for right yeah uh, well there's one more in there Uh, we are having um an evening with anthony kearns on saturday november 17th at the lucas um that's going to be uh quite a concert you know an irish tenor Mm. singing with the full orchestra it's going to be fantastic Um, as you mentioned, Holiday Pops is uh, Friday, December 7th, Saturday, Family Matinee at 3, and then another full concert Saturday night uh, at 7.30 at the Johnny Mercer. So, and, then we'll, and then we kick off the new year with Best of Broadway. Everybody loves Broadway. Yeah. So yeah. that's another opportunity we might have to sell out the Johnny Mercer. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a full season, and um, if you you know the 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 actual lineup is on our website savannahphilharmonic.org. And as you mentioned, picnic in the park. If people wanted more information about picnic in the park, uh, they can go to the website. The full layout is there. We're having um, uh, food vendors, food trucks, ser- service breweries going to be there. Uh, we're going to have ice cream by Leopold's, Ben and Jerry's, icicles. It's just going to be a wonderful day for community and camaraderie. Everybody, everybody looks forward to it every year. Thank you for everything you do for the community. You're a real asset. The, the Savannah Philharmonic is. We're really blessed to have you. So thanks for coming in and spending some time with us today. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to the Difference Makers podcast, a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. We post a new episode every other Friday, and it's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also publish a daily news and opinion podcast called The Afternoon Commute. Search for The Commute with that Savannah Opinion and subscribe to our podcast today. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.